want you to hit me a podcast or me, Nicole Byers, try to explore love. My guest today is an action star, martial arts master, and the first African-American to portray a comic book superhero in a major motion picture. His roles include Spawn, Tyson, and the hilarious Black Dynamite. Now he's riding into action with the much-anticipated sequel, Outlaw Johnny Black, now playing in theaters. Get ready for Michael Jai White! Boop, boop, boop. Hi, hi. Hey. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you for having me. Okay, let's hop into it. So, Michael, are you single? Are you married? Do you not wish to say? Because that's also an option. I am super, super happily married. Ooh, how long have you been married? Oh, boy. Um, it, it's it's a trip. I don't I think somewhere around 11 years is when we had the ceremony. But Okay. Uh, and my heart's been with her since the 27 years uh, when we first met, you know, so. Wait, that is so adorable. I love it. My heart has been with her. When did your heart, when did you meet? When did your heart, <laughs> when did you guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's correct. Yeah. Well, we, we met 27, uh, yeah, about 27 years ago at a club. Ooh. Yeah. So you, you can't meet the one at, at the club. And I did. I love this. So was she dancing and you were like, ooh, we those moves are for me. And then well, well, before that, she had a friend who was, um, she had a girlfriend that was kind of like vivacious and very uh, upfront, you know, mm -hmm. so to speak. And she was speaking. She was very, very much, you know, kind of had, you know, had the attribute showing very much, you know, mm -hmm. and she was that type. But I noticed her friend was not that Okay. And so it became like, who is your friend? And so so I saw that Gillian had just as many attributes and, you know, but she was being very um, reserved. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't showing everything off. And so that that really intrigued me. And we started dancing and and that was it. I mean, we, we had a lot in common. And so... Uh, here we are. I, uh, okay. So how did you know she was the one? What, like, was there a specific moment where you were like, ah, this is for me? Well, you know, honestly, I screwed it up years ago and we spent some time apart. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know she was the one because I think I was a little um, full of myself and I had, a, had a, I don't know, I was young, running around town and, you know, actor, that, that whole thing. And I know whenever we get get together, it was just like it, it was no work. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of lost track because you know she was busy in her career, I was busy in mine, and um, we weren't making any demands on each other. And so we wound up going separate ways and getting into these like relationships that we were used to, where it took work to kind of push a a donkey up an ice hill. <laughs> and, and then, then, you know, this as chance would have it. I was on a set years ago, long time ago. And, um, see, I'll backtrack a little bit. I've never been drunk and I've never been high. I never smoked a joint, never done anything like that. So I've never been really altered. And I had a cold and I took some cold medicine that was given to me by this producer, and I had a really bad effect to this cold medicine. And so I, I was convinced that I was going to die. And so in my 
thinking my final night, I I called her and confessed that if I were not to make it, that she was the one. And so I eventually, like, I, I lived. Uh-huh. Right? You lived through the cold medicine. Yeah, yeah. So 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 then there was on the table and you know, you know, so she had those same privileges for me. And, you know, when I got back into town, we just picked up and just never looked back. I love that. Love brought to you by Robitussin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, you actually guessed it correctly. It was uh it was yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was Robitussin cold, like some kind of, it was old. I, it was some kind of tablet type of thing. And I remember when I opened the package, it was like dusty. Okay. I was like, this, this might not be good. <laughs> this is uh, expired Robitussin, but I will take it, try to beat <laughs> right. this cold. Yeah. I love that, that you were just like, I might die, but you're the one. What? That's romantic. What's the most romantic thing you've done? Like, how did you propose? Oh, we never proposed. Oh. We, like, I, I got to tell you, like, we're not conventional in the way of, and I've never been that type of person that just went the conventional way of anything. I never even believed in dating. I, I to, to this day, I can say I don't date. Mm-hmm. I hang out. Okay. You know, I hang out. I don't put any pressure on that. There's a, there's a pressure to be, like, for this, like, I don't know, contrived behavior that I never liked. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be who I am three years from now on day one. You know, so, so, and, you know, whenever I would date, you know, call it dating someone or whatever, hang out, it's like, I would say like, hey, I don't know what, what to make of this. I, I have no expectations. You might be the love of my life or you might be like a cousin or a sister. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Either way, it's going to be the way it's naturally going to be. You know, so we'll know if we're attracted to each other, but I'm not going to hide my flaws and I hope you don't hide yours. I'm just going to be me. And so that way you cut out all that BS, you know, that that representation, you know, you're being your representative and you're doing all that, uh, the monologue. Everybody's got a monologue that paints (laughs) them to be like really a a good person. We We all have that monologue. I'm sure De- Jeffrey Dahmer has that monologue. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, we are, you know, it's kind of like, I, I like to celebrate our flaws because that makes us more of who we are mm-hmm. than our attributes, right? So I wouldn't hide those things from you or, or just try to, you know, kind of put a round peg into a square hole. Mm-hmm. It's going to be what it's going to be. So, like, we hang out. You know, so that that was the thing I would do. So hang out, to, you know, because I look at it as friends. I mean, I value my friends, my friend relationships more than past romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. The friend friendly relationships have even lasted long. You know, so you, it, so that way I look at it. I go into it like I can't lose. But if you got an agenda, that's on you. <laughs> you you may think you're on a date. I don't think I'm on a date. I'm I, I think I'm hanging out with you and I'm gonna present who I am and hopefully you show me who you are. Honestly, I do think that's a very healthy approach because I feel like dating 
is kind of like we're all used car salesmen trying to mm-hmm. sell you this like beat up Pinto that I am. <laughs> this flawed Ford Focus that has three wheels. And I'm like, there's a fourth coming. And it's like, no, bitch, the fourth is not coming. You're a three wheeled Ford Focus. That's what you are. Yeah. Um, and I feel like if you're like just hanging out, there is no pressure for any expectations. And it's like nice and chill. And it's like, let's see where we go. Yeah, I, I think you gotta you gotta govern your your own wants and your desires. It's gotta start with you. You like if you're going in for a job, right? Mm-hmm. You may you since there's something at stake, you may not be your your hundred percent self because there's something at stake. But imagine, okay, you go you go for a job at um, a application. Oh, I almost called it an audition. <laughs> I've been a, I've been an actor too long. You're going there for the job, right? And <laughs> And say the the boss loves golf and you hate golf. Well, it's easy just to not say anything and just go, oh, yeah, that's nice, you know. Uh-huh. And you give the you give the boss an impression that you might like golf too. You get the job, then he invites you to play golf. And what are you gonna do? You're gonna keep your mouth shut. When are you gonna like be up and honest and say, can't stand this thing? But now imagine the imagine the freedom to even though you want a job deep down. You sit there and he offers that he loves golf. And you say, I can't stand golf. I just I just can't see how somebody could spend all day knocking a little white ball around. <laughs> and, and, and if that and, if, and the boss goes, well, you know, you know, I, I love it. Hopefully or maybe I'll change your mind one day and you get the job. Mm-hmm. Right. You feel no pressure. You presented yourself and maybe. You know, he might invite you to golf, but you go, no, I can't stand it. <laughs> and and you, jo- you, you joke around, but there, there's no pressure on you. So it's the same thing. But you but you got to you got to govern yourself. It, you got to tell yourself this is not for a job. This is not for a relationship. This is not for anything other than I'm learning who another person is. And I'm, and I'm not going to hide who I am. If you do that, I don't think you could ever miss and you can never look back and wish that you did something different because you're you're representing who you are. I, I think pretending or doing something that you think the other person wants to hear or see is suicide. You've killed yourself to be something that you're not. Why? Why? That, and if somebody's eventually going to love you, they're going to love all of you, even your flaws. Right. Mm-hmm. If you if you if you hide your flaws and hide who you are, you make it impossible for that person to love you because you've not presented who you are. Yeah, you've just presented this version of you that's like malleable, and you're twisting yourself to like these things that this other person likes, but then you're just not being true to yourself. I think that's really important to stay true to yourself and like stand your ground. Be like, I don't want to do this. I don't like doing this. I I feel like I know a lot of couples that. They're like, ugh, my partner does X, Y, and Z. I don't like it, but like, I'm just gonna do it. And it's like, well, that you don't have to. They can do that with a friend. They can they can do that with somebody else. Like, you don't have to be miserable just to make someone happy. Yeah, you you got you got to be be aware of your own desires. Like, as a guy, my friends, I used to say this to my friends all, all the time. Like, well, as you know, guys are you know kind of sexually motivated, mm-hmm. and so they may. You know, do whatever, say whatever. Say, oh yeah, I like this, I like that. To you know, it's a root to the fruit, basically, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, a root to the fruit. But if they're, you know, like my friends, 
like could tell me, oh, okay, you know, man, she, this is one and blah, 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 and all this. And then they have sex with them, with the, the, the woman or whatever. And then later on, I hear, oh, you know, yeah, I got to call her back, man. She's, she's, I'm like, wait a minute. This is the person that you thought was it. Now, mm-hmm. there's a learning situation here because this is the third or fourth one that I know that as soon as you had the sex, you're not so motivated anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe your sexual desire clouded your judgment. Maybe it's, you know, one percentage of how she's going to look on your arm, another percentage of conquest, another percentage of, you know, bragging or whatever, and then another percentage was sex. Well, if you think it was 100% of that woman, then you had something to learn. Now, you, now you've got that part. Now you, you're free to investigate the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And maybe that wasn't it. You convinced yourself it was 100% of who she, she was. And so that's a natural mistake people make because they're not marshalling their desires, right? Mm-hmm. And, that, and then they find themselves with somebody that they don't, they don't completely desire. And, and then look at, the, well, you know, to put it in a men's situation, it's very easy because, you know, we are driven by that. <laughs> now, what's really sad is look at the women's situation. Mm-hmm. How many, how many women do you know or friends, you know, who have been, you know, uh, going about a relationship that doesn't have much promise until that guy proposes. Oh, so many people where they're just like, oh, he's the one. I love him so much. And it's like, girl, you were just talking shit about him yesterday. Exactly. So, so that's another one of those percentages. That's another thing where we we, be careful of your desires because your choice to marry this guy, how much of that was how he's going to look on your arm, mm-hmm. uh, the, the promise of children, the day that you, you know, the, the Cinderella complex, uh, the, the whole social thing where this is the, the day that, I, I mean, I get to, to announce this to the world. Mm-hmm. All of these things, and then you marry this guy and all these other percentages that you chose to do this, it wasn't 100% this guy. It was all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I always say just really... You really be be careful of your own desires because it can cloud everything, you know. So, in a way, you know, hang out, take your desires off the damn table. You gotta you gotta not want it. Like if I think women will appreciate if a guy does not want them sexually or, or puts that at bay mm-hmm. and doesn't choose them and takes the sexual component out. Of it. And I think a guy would love it if a woman would take the marriage component out of it but it'll be it'll behoove both parties if they did it for themselves to say i'm not driven by by marriage here it's it, it's this i mean think about your best friends it's a chemistry thing yes chemistry lasts you know i always say i lucked out because i married my best friend you know and you know, there's always times where you you want to, you know, have your time by yourself or whatever, like away from your partner. Mm-hmm. I've never had that. And she tells me she's never had that as well. Because I, like, it It sounds corny, but it, it really is because I took all that other stuff out of it. Um, but, like, we feel like a two-person cult. <laughs> like, I've known... <laughs> 
I've known her 27 years. And this is one of the things I hate talking about is that we've only had three arguments in all that time. Really? In 27 years, you've only had three arguments. Three arguments, and they were actually laughable when we look back at it. That. <laughs> Our biggest argument was in Africa. Mm-hmm. In Africa, we, we, we were in Nairobi and staying in these tents. And we had to have a guide to walk us back from dinner to our tents. Well, I think my knee or my, my ankle, uh, I got a like, weird pain in my knee or ankle. Mm-hmm. And we were walking and she was keeping up with the guide. And I didn't, I, I kind of like <laughs> fell back a little bit and got, got, got uh, frustrated that they were leaving uh-huh. me <laughs> in the dark with like possible animals. <laughs> and I got frustrated. Now I had this gift bag thing that I just got kind of threw. And she's like, why'd you do that? I'm like, you guys are leaving me. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, when we got inside, I think because it was connected to a, a childhood uh, kind of thing with mm-hmm. me, I voiced my frustration. But it actually, we were laughing about, I don't know, 25 minutes later. But that was the biggest argument we've ever had. And I, I, I hate to sound like we're, you know, whatever, but that's the truth. It's just like, how how often do you argue with your best friend? I mean, yeah, I don't really argue with yeah. my best friend at all. I cannot think of a huge fight we've ever really been in. I got to say, three arguments in 27 years, so it's like one argument every nine years. That is delightful. <laughs> that is so nice. Yeah, it's, it's not like we try not to, but honestly, it's like our kids, you know, like we could be in the kitchen goofing around and our kids are like, will you guys go in your room? We have to sleep. We have to get up and go to school. And, and um, to have, uh, you know, one of our daughters, she's 22 now. But I mean, when she was 14, I believe, mm-hmm. she said, you are my couple goals. Uh. And to hear that from a teenager was something that really touched us. And, um, but, but yeah, we, we're lucky, but but let me tell you, it's because we, we've we had hell in past relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I don't identify. I identify left, right, and center with, with struggling relationships that make you want to, like, kill yourself or the other person. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel because it only takes one that gets it right to make it all worthwhile. And sometimes just remembering what things used to be like makes me appreciate where I am now so much more. So would you say your past relationships are the reason why I feel like you've rejected tradition and social norms? Yes. So past relationships influenced how you went about this relationship or the way that you were not dating but meeting and hanging out with people? Yeah, I mean, I... I always kind of kept it like this, like the not traditional dating thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, and I've always had that mantra of, hey, I don't know how this is going to go. I am not looking for a mate. <laughs> I am, <laughs> I, you know, and, and I, and I, to be honest with you, friendships mean more to me, you know, mm-hmm. and if we were to be involved, it's our friendship that I'm going to try to, nurture more than anything else. So you need not like hide anything from me, you know? So 
that's kind of the way I went about it in my adulthood. Because, you know, when I was younger, I, I was running around. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, I was a guy. <laughs> running these streets. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, I was always looking for the one. But, you know, I figure it's a, <laughs> it's a game of numbers. So. It's a numbers game, baby. <laughs> so, yeah, if you, you, you know, if you, get, if you got 120, you can find the one easier, you know. I love, real quick, we do have to take a break. I wanted to talk to you about jujitsu. So you started taking jujitsu at seven? Yeah, yeah. I was taking a combination of jujitsu and a, a style called Shotokai. Oh. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was really early on. And are you, you're like a black belt, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been a black belt since I was 13. Oh, holy shit. That's wild. Yeah, and then I went and had... Uh, got black belts and other styles as well. Oh my god! So did w- was there a reason? Did you like see something and then go, "This is what I'd like to do," or did your parents put you in classes? How did it come about? Well, I mean, I just I just saw martial arts and saw myself as that. It was something that was empowering, and I just wanted to do that. Actually, my mother was uh, afraid to put me in martial arts classes because I was already like. Uh, I used to fight a lot. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, oh, no, am I giving him the tools to really fight? Exactly. I mean, really, I kind of was in the martial arts because I could I could fight all the time and not get in trouble. But but it was, you know, it was a reaction to my my surroundings. I was in a really, you know, in in Brooklyn and Bridgeport, Connecticut, that was tough surroundings. And. I was a sensitive kid, and what that in martial arts was my armor. So I put a lot of time into it, and uh, you know, and you know, I was insecure. I was, you know, when it comes down to it, I was a very insecure kid, and that's what you you tend to do is you 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 become the fortress. I like the fact that it was like you liked fighting, so then you started do fighting in a controlled environment. So it's like you could get the aggression out in a safe way. And I feel like a lot of child raising is like, no, don't do that. As opposed to this is something you do. Let's figure out how you can do it in a way that's helpful for you. Absolutely. Especially boys. I mean, mm-hmm. this the testosterone thing is real. I mean, you know, we're in part of the animal kingdom. Look at your pit bulls and look at any of the more... Uh, dominant um male muscular dogs they have to tear they have to do they they have to exert themselves why should we be that much different i i was i was my height at 14 i looked like a grown man when i was really young <laughs> yeah so i mean i grew quickly and i was i was fighting against men at, at 15 years old in 20 and it was just perfectly natural. I was very much it was it was fortuitous that I would I would play the the role of Mike Tyson because we were so similar. And, and when he was developing, I was developing. He's fighting grown men when I was fighting grown men. And and it's 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 a it's psychologically uh, it, it very impacting when you're that young and realizes you have this kind of power over adults. You know, so oh yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, you, you're drunk with it for a while, and, and but <laughs> luckily, like 
I didn't have the the money and all that fame behind it um, and all the distractions and obstacles that he had. Yeah, his story's pretty, pretty intense. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's like a poor kid who gets in trouble, learns how to fight, and then gets thrown all this money and no direction. And no one's like, invest, save. You can't <laughs> right. treat people however the fuck you want. You got to have some sort of respect. Yeah, it's it, his story's very, very, very interesting. Yeah, it's just like, like the pretty girl who at 15 knows everybody is going to kiss her behind, right? Because mm-hmm. nobody's going to disagree with her. And it's like, yeah, you know, the sky in your world is is the sky in everybody else's world. Yeah, the sky is green. Nobody's going to tell you it's not, right, uh-huh. if you believe it. And so with with being an, a, a young man with this power that everybody, I don't care who you are, it could be a room full of De Niro's, uh, Elon Musk's, or, 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 or political, like, you know, whizzes. That per all those people, all those men, when a Mike Tyson walks in the room, everybody looks at him. You know, and that's a male thing. That is a thing that that it it can really screw you up if you're young and you realize you have that kind of, that kind of power over everyone. You know, that fame is like it's famous. <laughs> it's beyond fame, is what it is. Yeah. 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 You become this entity. It's wild. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about, you had a non-traditional route into acting. You were a special education teacher for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was a, I was a teacher. I was a um, special ed teacher. And I, I was really, you know, really proud of doing that because I think I, I I made a difference. And, and it really touches me because uh, uh, it was a teacher when I was younger. It's a guy named Andrew Carsage who kind of saw through my rough exterior and saw that I had a brain going on in there, even though I tried to scare everybody to stay <laughs> away from me. But he really saw that I had a potential to go into college. From the day he wrote me this personal letter, uh, I changed, I totally changed who I was. I mean, I totally started showing that I could do extra credit. I could put myself in the, the gifted program and not only was I, you know, the, the scariest kid in, in school, I was one of the smartest. And to impress him, I just kept going that direction and uh, eventually got a scholarship and started doing track and field and all this other stuff. And, you know, everybody else was just shocked. And you know, people were like, you know, all my thug friends was like, oh, wait a minute, who's this? <laughs> my, uh-huh. my thug friends told me, I remember one time, they they pulled me aside and said, "Hey man, there's a you know somebody else has your name in this school." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> and and they were like talking to me like, "You should you know make this person change his name like or, you know something like like they're like this was some threat to me." And I'm like, well, "How do you know there's another person with my name?" They said because he's on the honor roll. <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh wow, that shows what you think of me that uh-huh, it couldn't that possibly- I can't be on the honor roll." Yeah, and and be running these streets. You know, <laughs> you're like, I can, uh, yeah. I can do it double time. I can run the streets and also I can study a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, but that's just that informed people that, you know, of what people thought, you know, and I'm like, oh, OK. So they try to put you in this category. And that's things I, I railed, railed against my own entire life. Mm hmm. And then how did you get into acting? You you were teaching in Connecticut. So, yeah. 
were you auditioning in New York or Connecticut things? No, no. I was always auditioning in New York, my, my time off. Um, and even sometimes if I can get an audition after class, I'm, I'm <laughs> getting on the train and going to New York because I enjoyed it, right? I didn't really mm-hmm. accept the fact that I had uh, potential to be an actor uh, until I kept getting really close on big roles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I go into callback after callback. And then, then sooner or later, you know, I was in callback rooms with people I've seen on TV and movies. Mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, I'm not kind of close to me. <laughs> you know, one of these days, is that guy's going to be sick. That one's going to be you know, on another different TV show. And it's going to be me, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so eventually I got this, this, uh, it was, it was down to, um, this big play. It was the first time To Kill a Mockingbird was going to be done on stage, right? And it was a big deal. It was with Tony Award winners and everything. And um, I remember when I was uh, teaching my class, on my auditions, I I turned I turned To Kill a Mockingbird into uh, a classroom lesson because it was so it was so much about looking at the world from other people's perspectives. Right. And, and understanding, um, even though these people, have, you know, if you knew the, the, the story about Tom Robinson, everybody in that, in that, that town kind of knew what was going on. But because of the times, uh, you know, Tom Robinson was, was going to meet his demise, even though people knew better. You know, it was like they, they couldn't judge against this white woman. And, um, and that's something that I wanted to turn into a classroom lesson. And I would do the courtroom scene as an assignment and have everybody rotating uh, characters and look at everything from that, those people's perspectives. I thought it would be a good life lesson for them. And I eventually got the role and mm-hmm. had to leave. But uh, I arranged for the class, not only the class, but a large part of the school to come and see me on stage, uh, perform that. And, and, uh, that, that was something I was really happy about because, you know, I, you know, I've been, I've, I've been in contact with some of the students in the past, but, but that turned out to be a good life lesson. And for them to see something just kind of developing somebody from where they're from, move on to something. Succeeding, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that that's that was my transition into uh, the acting thing. And then, but I still kind of teach to this day because I, I do uh, um, motivational speaking around the, around the country. Mm-hmm. What a treat, though, to, like, have things workshopped in the classroom and, like, have a lesson and then be able to see it all together on a stage. And then your teacher is <laughs> starring in it. Like that's yeah. really incredible. How did you get into acting? Like what made you decide that that was something that you wanted to do? Like, did you take an acting class or? I was taking acting classes only to have fun. I, mm-hmm. I was, I was battling left and right brain going, nah, it's not something that you make a living off, off of. And besides, <laughs> besides, the the kids in college who were active, you know, the, the active type people with the blue hair and everything else, and they had this look at me, pay attention to me energy, and I knew I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, no, I don't have what it takes 
to be an actor if it's if it's that thing. But the fact that I've always, you know, I, I studied psych, psychology and and was always, you know, like I've been on my own since I was 14. So I've always been fascinated with human nature. And uh, with acting, I was all I was able to use a talent that, you know, and an interest that I always had in looking at things from other perspectives. Right. And so, um, you know, and I, I, I guess I had a natural ability because whenever I recount stories for friends, uh, they, they tell me, hey, man, you just became you just sounded just like so and so. or And I'm like, oh, really? You know, so it's something that, you know, it was a skill that I honed, but I think I was kind of naturally born with. And so, you know, and and it kind of made sense for me because I was always this real eclectic person um, that, you know, friends could never, they could never really describe me because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fit on one shelf because it's, you know, it's like, oh, what, what is it? Um, this comedian called me something. He, he called me Denzel, he called me Denzel Van Swartzenhart. <laughs> And 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 he says, "Yeah, you're Denzel Van Swartz." Every time I see him, he, says, he called me Denzel Van Swartzenhart because <laughs> of the 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 obvious connections with yeah. Denzel, leading man Van Dam, Schwarzenegger physique, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of action thing, and then Kevin Hart because I do comedy, I guess. <laughs> but but you know, I was like, wow, that's very astute. But yeah, that's sometimes that confuses people when you don't fit in one particular category or one shelf. Mm-hmm. And so that I, I, I made that, you know, kind of schizophrenic <laughs> character <laughs> uh, w- work for me in this in this acting uh, genre. And I feel like I have a lot more to offer. I think so. Um, when you got Spawn, what was that like? That's huge. That was like. That's incredible. Like, yeah, yeah, to be the first African-American to portray, like, a, a comic book superhero. Like, what, how did that feel? Did it feel like a lot of pressure? Or are you like, oh, no, I'm ready for this? Yeah, I mean, anything I do, I'm going to try to do my best. So it doesn't, it didn't really matter so much, right? It would only matter if I wasn't able to do my my best work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, So I didn't think of the magnitude of it. I think that's focusing on the wrong thing. And so I, you know, I remember I went to a meeting because I had done the Mike Tyson story and that was re- very well, uh, it was critically acclaimed. And so I met with these people who were doing Spawn and I'd already been cast to be in Mortal Kombat that was shooting at the same time. So I didn't know what Spawn was and I just naturally went to this meeting and left, not think of any, anything. And then the next thing I know, a friend of mine was getting cast in my role in Mortal Kombat. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> you know, and then, then my um, my manager's called with the happy news that you're Spawn. I'm like, what's Spawn? What? <laughs> <laughs> I went to this meeting, but what the fuck is a Spawn? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm like, that meeting I went to? They said, yeah. They said, it's a good thing. I'm like, is it? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> right. And then a, a, a friend of mine, I contacted a friend of mine who was really a co- in, in the comic book. And he, mm-hmm. I told him, hey, they cast me in this Spawn thing. And he's like, oh, my God. That's, I was, 
I said, I guess it's a good thing. But so then I, I, I kind of had to delve into what that was. But I, I had not seen the comic book. I didn't know anything about it, but I knew people were excited about it. That is, I feel like, kind of cool to like, because since you didn't have like reverence for it, it's like you can't really fail. You just have to embrace it and learn about it and do the job. Because I feel like when you revere something, there's something to lose. Yeah, well, hey, Nicole, you 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 know you noticed the through line there? Yes. Yep. <laughs> you see? It kind of came around, yeah. right? When there are no expectations and exactly. you don't put a, a pressure on something, the only thing you can do is succeed. Well, yeah, because I'm, I'm in that meeting spawn. Like, I'm not even there for a job, really. I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm here hey. for a meeting. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So, and so there's, you know, it's, there's no pressure whatsoever. I'm just being me. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have to take one more break. Okay, you were in Why Did I Get Married? And Why Did I Get Married too? I love Why Did I Get Married? There is the scene at the table where everyone is revealing things. Yeah. That was truly wild. And what was like that? What was it like to shoot that? Oh, it was a lot of fun. I was shooting with my friends. I know <laughs> I had known Tyler well before that. I kind of knew Tyler before he got oh, okay. really, really popular. I was part of uh his uh with the the House of Pain series mm-hmm. before he got the the uh the uh the network okay to do it. Mm-hmm. So I did his pilot series. Oh. Of that. I was part of it. And I, you know, I kind of uh I uh, reconnect. I kind of did uh, the same role later when it got picked up for a series. So I had known Tyler from way back when, and it just so happens that he put me together with Tasha Smith as mm-hmm. a couple, not knowing that we really dated in in real life. You did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're... that's so funny. That's wild. Yeah. So we we were keeping it secret. We were, you know, we were putting, you know, putting together our, our you know, our background of our stories and all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, we, you know, we we know each other. For, you know, we already knew we had chemistry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so, uh, you know, we were going to keep it secret. And I think it was like, you know, we pretty much through most of all the, the shooting. And then uh, I think she let the cat out the bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I one That's day so I walked. Funny. I walked on set and just, you know, women they can't keep secrets too well. No, like, I I sure can't. Because I, you know, I said hi to Janet. I'm like, hey Janet, how you doing today? She went, mm. I'm like, what? <laughs> she just looked at me like I know something. Uh-huh. And, and then and Sharon Lil did the same thing. I'm like, I went straight to Tasha. I'm like, Tasha, did you say something? She said, Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I was like. Dang. <laughs> but it, but anyway, but you know, we we were going to keep that as our little secret that you know, this is our acting that made mm-hmm. you know that made it so good and not the history of us well, dating. Well, yeah, it, you know, and I, I do say it was the acting, but mm-hmm. it also the history had part of it. God, I love that dinner. The dinner scene is so wild. I think it ends with who gets hit. Uh, I choke her. <laughs> oh yes, that's what it is. Yes, you yeah. choke her. And yeah. I remember seeing it and screaming and being like, "Mom, I love this." That, that's what it was—a choking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. W- w- which never happened. That's another person I never had an argument with. All, mm-hmm. all oh. the years that we we went, well, we dated very briefly. 
Mm-hmm. But in all the years of our friendship, we've never had an argument either. I love this. Well, what's the secret to that? What's the secret of not arguing? Well, I kind of think, well, I have a philosophy that I don't, uh, I always want to prove the opposition right before I prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love learning, right? So if I learn that I did something wrong, then, I, you know, I, I learned something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, you know, you, you only know what you already know. So my, my thing is like, I really want, if I'm, if I'm proved wrong, then I've learned something new. So my goal is never egotistical. I don't want to be right. My thing is, hey, I feel this way. Um, that that way, I'm I'm probably wrong less of the time because I'm not I'm not um, you know I'm not egotistically motivated. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm motivated to to be wrong. So I'm I'm really want to be able to tell your argument and know your argument just as well as you do because when you're upset, you know you're. Your communication lacks. So I, I'm going to try to hear you. I'm going to try to prove you wrong. So that th- that's worked with me just throughout life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, somebody could, you know, pull beside me in another car and say, you're an asshole, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. I would, and if I, if I defend myself, I may not learn that, hey, maybe I cut the guy off back there. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. shoot, I'm, I'm sorry. I get, I, you know, you must be right to some degree. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't think unless you're an e- a total idiot, everybody, I don't care who you are. Everybody has a modicum of truth or, or just they're right to some degree. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's only 20%. Maybe it's 80%. But until I find out what they're talking about, I'm not going to gain anything if I'm just protecting my ego. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just always worked for me uh, as far as communication is concerned. And with uh, if somebody is upset, I don't hold them at their words because it's not their words. It's not, you know, you could say, hey, you know, you could say I love you. <laughs> In a certain way that it doesn't mean that. <laughs> you can say, hey, will you please pass the salt? And I know there's something going on, and I'm not going to, like, respond to your your energy. I'm going to try to fix, well, I'm going to, like, circumvent that because I know there's something wrong. But, I mean, and I can only do that if my emotions are intact. Are you in therapy? You have a very zen approach to life. And I'm, I want to get there. It seems like, cause I, I get defensive a lot when people say, like, if someone's like, pass the salt, I'm like, did I do something? Did I put the salt too far away from, as opposed to like, oh, this isn't about me. This is about you. Exactly. What's going on with you? Why do you need the salt? And are you feeling okay? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like how, how did you get to this, this mindset? Just because I like to know the truth about things and it's, it's a waste of time. I, I just, it's, it's so sad when people are wasting time going on two different tangents, right? And not, not meeting up. I mean, I've had, I've had amazing conversations with people that you would think you could extract no knowledge from. I've had amazing, I, I remember years back, I, there was a group of 10 white supremacists that I had an amazing conversation with. And I had fun with it because 
I knew deep down they were humans and I knew that there's a way that I could connect with them without them even realizing what I'm doing. I've I've mm-hmm. actually played this Bengali thing for a lot of my life and and it's and I I do think that everybody can be can be reached. Uh you just have to circumvent their the minefields. And if you know who that person is, you kind of get a feeling of who they are. Mm-hmm. It should be no excuse for you to, you know, kind of get your way, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, you know, it's, you know, I, I, I feel like, okay, well, of course, the first thing is the emotion thing, right? Well, liken it to a traffic jam. If mm-hmm. I'm in a traffic jam and I'm pissed off because I don't know the source, you know, I'm, but when you get up <laughs> at the beginning of the traffic jam, you see a car is on its side and there's an accident. You're no longer upset, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a logical reason. Well, the fact is, how many traffic jams is going to take before you realize it's not a con- conspiracy against you? <laughs> right? So you can get uh-huh. in a traffic jam right now and go, God damn it. Robert. But the first thing you do is you ask a question. What the hell is going on? Why did this? You ask what, when, why, how? It's a question. Mm-hmm. So if you uh, if you concern yourself with the question, then that's the first thing. You know, oh, what? Wait, wait a minute. Yeah, there's a logical answer to this that I just don't know mm-hmm. yet, right? Um, please pass this all. Well, there's a logical answer to why that person said that. Mm-hmm. And if you are on the hunt for that, you don't waste a lot of time with the other stuff. You know that there's a logical reason for this. There's a logical reason for the guy calling me an asshole when he pulls up beside me. Mm-hmm. It's just, okay, well, you know, concern yourself with, with that. But, but, but also, if you're upset about something, the first thing you do is ask a question, right? You will always be like, what the, what does this person think? Uh, oh, okay. This is that type of person. This is, ah, I think I know. Or if you don't know, you go, well, there's a logical explanation to this. I just don't know it yet. And it just applies in a lot of scenarios. So like say, since we're talking about relationships Mm -hmm. and my wife says, oh, I'm fine. (laughs) You think I'm (laughs) good? You know she ain't fine. Right, right. So, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to, you know point out the reasons why I don't think she's fine? Mm-hmm. Is that going to work? That's a, that's, a, not. that's a waste of time. I know <laughs> She's not supposed to know why she's, she's you know, that's my job as, as you know, her mate or whether mm-hmm. it's my friend or my wife or whatever. There's going to be things that they're going to not be focused on. And so, you know, she's like, I'm fine. It, you know, then I, I play Mr. Detective. You know, but I don't let her know I'm playing Mr. Detective because that's going to piss her off, <laughs> you know. So, so you know, it's just working around it. And, and, and dare I say, it's kind of fun figuring out these things because you're, you're not, you know, you're not beleaguered with the, the weight of something mm-hmm. unless you put it on yourself. Why do that? So you're going to get mad because they're mad. It's like, now you just... <laughs> Now you're making it damn near impossible to meet or figure out what's going on. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I like that you are playing detective to figure out what's going on and why they're not actually fine. But you're like, I'm not overtly doing it. It's like, how can I support you right now? Like, if it looks like you're uncomfortable on the couch, it's like, give you a pillow. Maybe that'll make you feel better. And maybe you'll want to talk to me. Yeah. And if, you know, and like, like as you are, you, you are very well equipped as a comedian to see the, the other side of things. Mm-hmm. And, and and you make and, and one thing I mean, you're choosing a mate. I feel like my most important thing in choosing a, a mate is is intelligence. You know, because I feel like mm-hmm. with intelligence comes all these other things. You know, I think it comes when you're t- intelligent. I, there's an understanding of irony, and you appreciate, you know, the 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 nuances of so many things. Um, and and also with intelligence, you know, comes the, the common sense of planning ahead, and just so many other things like even you know your overall health and doing things that's going to benefit you and your your family that goes along with intelligence. So so it's kind of like it's like a you know that's the most important attribute because it brings all the other things with it. Hmm. Um, we do have to wrap it up. This has been delightful. Um, do you have any advice for me, a single woman, or the other single people listening? Hey, my advice is be who you are. You cannot lose being who you are. If somebody takes that as a weakness, mm-hmm. you're well rid of that person. You know? So it's it's like you win when somebody loves you for who you are. Warts and all. You know, don't hide, <laughs> don't don't hide the flaws. The flaws are what makes us who we are more than our attributes. So mm-hmm. you know, don't don't hide that. You know, and you know, put it on front street. If, you know, somebody takes that as a weakness, that shame on them. You got to feel sorry for them because you know they're not going to often get somebody who's willing to be honest. That that is valuable. Somebody who's willing to be completely honest, you don't get that a lot. You know, and I, I would hope people value that, uh, you know, more and more these days because, you know, the social media and everything is trying to cram people into being, being the same person, just carbon cutouts of each other. It is. That is like a weird thing that I've noticed. I'm like, everyone dresses the same. Everyone does the same shit. And I'm just like, mm, that's not for me. I want to yeah. look the way I want to look. Exactly. Exactly. That's how you win. You know, somebody, somebody know, isn't it, isn't it something where somebody doesn't, they don't give you roses. They give you your favorite flower. Wouldn't you want that? <laughs> they, they would yeah. invest the time to know what you want and not what everybody else is supposed to want. Yeah. That is nice. Yeah. yeah Cause I don't like roses. I like lilies. There you go. You know, that's my, that's my wife's favorite as well. Oh really? Like lilies. Yeah. I love lilies. Yeah. They're just so pretty. Yeah, see that that's what that's what you want. You want the lilies. You don't want the roses. Okay, Michael, before we go, I ask all my guests this. I've only missed this question maybe four or five times. But would you date me? Well, the way I look at things, I don't date, remember? Oh yes. I've so, already forgotten. You no, know, I I don't I don't believe in dating. I look at hanging it's hanging out. And of course I'd hang out with you. You know? Aww. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. 
Well, thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Michael. <laughs> um, if you like this episode of Why Won't You Date Me, you can rate it You or give me five stars or whatever on Apple Podcasts. You know, I should know what it is by now, but I don't. Anyway, if you write me a nasty message hitting on me to Why Won't You Date Me podcast at gmail.com, I will read it. So this nice person sent one saying, thanks for reading my nasty message about you and big Sky Daddy Ed Bastion. And I'm sorry it made you sad. Per your request, here's part two, which has a happy ending. Once again, Mr. Bastion, if you happen to be listening and don't want to hear this nastiness, stop listening now. Nicole, when I wake up on the private jet after slipping on you and Ed's bodily chemicals and find that you two left, I will leave the jet and search for you on a deserted island. After searching for a while, I will find that it's not actually a deserted island, but actually a popular tourist attraction. However, you and Ed have gone at it so hard in a popular waterfall pool that the water will be completely milky from your bodily elements. It'll scare the tourists away. (laughs) I will get mad at you and Ed for leaving me, but you make it up to me by allowing me to take you back on the private jet and cook clam chowder in your withering puss. Well, I get to use Ed's jet for a year. Then we will serve the clam chowder to Karens who complain about the smallest things about their food and mistreat service workers. Is this a happier message? Not when there's clam chowder baking in my pussy. But thank you. Bye-bye. Why Won't You Date Me with Nicole Byer is produced by me, Mars. It's executive produced by Adam Sachs, Nick Liao, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, with talent bookings by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Maddie Ogden. Got a question, crazy dating story, or a dirty message for Nicole? Write it to Why Won't You Date Me podcast at gmail.com for a chance to have it featured on a future show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode. Bye-bye. This has been a Team Coco production. <laughs> <laughs>